Did you all enjoy worshiping our Savior in song this morning that way? Sure appreciate the music team who helped us do that for sure. At this time, we're going to have the kids head down to Children's Church. We have uh, ministry for children up through second grade. So as they're making their way down, I'd like to invite the rest of you, if you would, to turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, our scripture reading this morning is going to come out of Mark 16. If you're using the Bibles in the racks in front of you, it would be page 42 in the New Testament. Beginning with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the, next, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And they said to him, or he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who's been crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Father, we thank you today for the opportunity that you've given to us to come and just for some time this morning be able to worship you and be able to take a look at your word and see what it instructs us about this day that we remember, this day of your resurrection, this time. Lord, please help our hearts to be gripped with the reality of this truth. And because of that, may it not just be a, a temporary movement today or a temporary response that we have, but may this be life-changing when we really understand the significance of this event. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would, for the portion of the teaching time this morning, invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 28. It's the portion of Scripture that we are going to be focusing our attention on as we consider the resurrection. Matthew chapter 28, again, if you're using the Bibles on the racks in front of you, it would be page 26 of the New Testament, page 26. So some people speak of the resurrection uh, in bizarre and sometimes confusing ways. For instance, I I came across this... uh, work that was written back in 1994 called The Physics of Immortality, written by physicist Frank Tripler, who said that humans are going to one day evolve into robots, and this will eventually turn the entire cosmos into a supercomputer, and resurrections will actually be performed in cyberspace, reconstructing formerly dead humans as avatars within its metaverse. It says, this is from information that's captured by this supercomputer from the past light cone of the cosmos. How many of you hung with me on all that? 
Yeah. Well, don't worry about it. I think what we're going to be talking about today is much simpler and much more believable. But sadly, when it comes to the resurrection and maybe not giving people a clear picture of what it's about, I, I read this past week about a man who was a pastor in South Africa. His name was Moodley. He passed away in August of 2014, or I should say 2021. And he was, he was held in the funeral home for almost two years. It seems he, he had preached that miracles happen. We can expect that. And their website, church website, portrayed that uh, the different things that had happened. And so his, his wife had had a vision that her husband would be resurrected. And so despite numerous attempts by the funeral home to have them come and make arrangements to take his body so it could be buried, they just let it remain in there expecting and waiting for this to take place. Well, after almost two years, the funeral home out of health concerns contacted the courts. The courts took action and really mandated they had to go ahead and do a burial or take care of the body in that way, so they did. Not even his wife or his children came to that event. A pastor in the area said this. He said, this is absurd. He, he went on to say, this is... <laughs> Not only is it absurd, but it's, it's totally ludicrous. It's, it's bad theology, he went on to say. He said, in our country, these funerals are finalized in five to seven business days. So he was quite taken back by all of this and bothered by it. I wonder what type of confusion and even ridicule uh, took place in that area because of this. So whether it's the, the secular scene or even those within the Christian community, sometimes we can say or do things that are quite confusing pe to people about what the resurrection is all about. But this morning, this morning, we're going to go right to the source. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 28. Last week, we talked about Pilate turning Jesus over to be crucified. In the interim between what we talked about last week and what we're going to be talking about this morning, Jesus was beaten, whipped, crucified. He was buried and now as we take this up in Matthew 28, we're going to work through these verses together. Matthew has a very compact, a very condensed, but a very powerful version of, of what has taken place at the resurrection. So let's take a look at verse 1 of Matthew 28. And the question I'd like us to ask as we go through this together today is this. What is a proper response to the king, to King Jesus' rising from the dead, from his resurrection. What is a proper response? Let's look at scene one as we look at verses one through seven. Matthew 28 verse one says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. So it's after the Sabbath. It's after 6 p.m. on Saturday night. It's beginning to dawn towards early morning on Sunday. And Mary Magdalene was the one who Jesus had cast seven demons out of. She comes to the tomb as well as the other Mary. We believe it was Mary, the mother of James the last. They came to look at the grave. And as they come, we were told in verse 2, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Now, maybe some of you have been in severe earthquakes before. I never have. But we have a daughter who serves over in Indonesia, and they've had a, a year that's been rocked by earthquakes. And uh, she tells us about how unsettling it can be and how it, all of a sudden, everything in your life, you're just focusing on what's going on here and what do I need to do. And 
So I can only imagine this great earthquake that's taking place here is talked about in verse 2. A greater severe earthquake came. And then we're told an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. It's interesting the angel of the Lord comes. We know an angel comes in connection with Jesus' life. It is connected to his birth. Of course, connected to his resurrection. And we'll, do, we'll be according to his uh, ascension as well. All four Gospels record the, angel come, the angels at his resurrection. So it's an incredible event. The angel comes down, descends from heaven, rolled away the stone. We know that wasn't necessary to have Jesus rise and be gone out of there. But it was to let them in. It's to let us, to let the disciples go in and see what was going on. Rolled away the stone, and the angel sat upon the stone. I love the imagery of this, right? An angel sitting, at the, sitting on the stone after having rolled it away. Verse 3, And his appearance was like lightning. It was brilliant. And his clothing as white as snow. There was a purity, a purity. In verse 4, The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. It's interesting that the Greek word for shook is the same root word that we see about the earthquake. I mean, there's that kind of response in these guards. It shook them up. Literally. And they were just really troubled and taken back and, and just terrified by that. They shook for fear and they became like dead men. We could say they were even unconscious, unaware of what was around them. In verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Do not be afraid, he tells them. And I know you're looking, you're searching for, you're seeking. Jesus, the one who's been crucified, is put on the cross. How well this angel knew the intent of these women. They had come to look even for his body. They weren't expecting an empty tomb. But notice verse 6, he's not here, for he's risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Tremendous. He's not here. This had to shake him. He's risen, just as he said. And we know even throughout the book of Matthew, in multiple places, Jesus foretold that he would be raised. And now the reality of his resurrection is setting into them as these angels communicating this to them. Verse 7, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So go quickly and tell his disciples. Get the word out. Go take this to his disciples. He's risen from the dead, and behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. It's interesting when it mentions Galilee. On this morning, when the women find him, I mean, the, the immediate thing is Jesus is risen. But it's interesting that even at this point, there's, he's saying, but you need to go to, to Galilee. Jesus is risen, but go to Galilee. There's a, there's a pushing ahead, if you will, a gentle pushing ahead. He's going before you to Galilee. You need to go there. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. After these first seven verses, we see King Jesus has risen. Rightful response for us, believe. What do we believe? We believe the words of the scriptures that he's risen from the dead. What do we believe? We believe that he forgives sin. If we look back at Matthew chapter 26, uh, just a couple of pages back, it's on page 23 of the Bible so that you have there, but verses 27 and 28, Jesus is giving them the Lord's Supper, and he said, he said this in verse 27 of Matthew 26, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, 
For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Believe that he's risen, yes, but believe that when he was crucified, he bore our sin. Believe that. And believe, as John 3.16 says, he gives eternal life. We know that verse, right? Many of us do anyway. John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what we can believe. The word of God has told us that the resurrection confirms this one who is, has claimed to be the son of God is. What a great truth. The word of God tells us that Jesus was one without sin. He lived a sinless life. Of course, he was put on the cross to die for our sin, and then he was raised. Do you realize this morning your desperate need the Bible tells us that we're dead in our sins and trespasses. We're hopeless. Do you realize that? But do you realize also the great love of God? We sang about it this morning. Do you realize the great love of God? Because God the Father sent God the Son to die for us on the cross, and God the Holy Spirit is enabling us to read His Word and to understand it, even for you today to understand the things I'm saying the Trinity God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have brought us to this moment and this time with this truth to consider these things. Do you realize his love for you? And do you realize the power that he had? His son Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what we celebrate as Christians together today. We can you know, be so thankful for that. You might think, well, in a room this size, we're all Christians, Right? We don't have such an assurance. I was reading an article this past week that said that one out of 10 people who call themselves a Christian don't even believe in the resurrection. Let me ask you, do you believe? Do you believe Jesus has been raised from the dead? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus came to die for you? On the cross, he's been raised. He offers you that eternal life and forgiveness that we've talked about. You can even right where you sit right now, just between you and God, recognize your need of him, call upon him to be your savior. And today, receive him as your savior. This is a, this is a holy opportunity. This is a sacred moment. This could be the day of your salvation. Please do business with the Lord today if you've not done so. And if you have questions, feel free to talk to myself afterwards, one of our elders, or someone who invited you. But let this be the day where you know you're standing with the Lord based on his word. So Jesus is risen. King Jesus is risen. Believe. But there's another response that's important for us to have too. Let's go to scene two as we look at verses eight through ten. Verse 8, and they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. They left the tomb quickly, just as the, as the angel had said, with fear and great joy. Within these women, there, there was both a mixture of fear. I mean, there's a lot of unknown still and uncertainty to them, but also great joy and exceeding gladness of what's taken place. So they go with this and they, they go to report it to the disciples. And then in verses 9 and 10, we have something appear that we don't see in other places in the gospel. This is unique. Verse 9 and 10, and verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. 
and they came and took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Jesus met them in a very friendly way and greeted them. And when they came and took hold of his feet, that was a way that someone would have gone before a king, either bowing on their knees or just lying flat on the ground, face to the ground, grabbing the feet was something that you would do to a king at that time. So worthy was he of this response. And we're told that they did this, they took his feet, and they worshipped him. What is worship? This morning, I trust and I believe many of us were worshiping as we were singing those songs of praise to God. But, but worship is more than singing, and it's more than just the words that we sing. Worship is the very attitude of our heart. I'm, I'm in a men's study, and we're going through prayer on Saturday mornings. And we talked recently about the practice of prayer and how some people actually get down on their knees and they bow as they pray. And the book was talking about how though we can have that as our response, the important thing is that we have at least our hearts bowed, a posture of bowing from our hearts. That is that we're submissive to him. We recognize that he is king. He is Lord. We come before him humbly and in need. We're needy people. That's what worship is. It's recognizing the weightiness of God, the glory of God, and how we're so different, how we need him so much. Worship is a very worthy response to our resurrected Savior. And it can be done on a Sunday morning service like this, or it can be done in the middle of your family dinner table as you're talking and working with your family, or it can be done at your workplace where you can worship him, or you can worship him on a walk. You can worship him when you're with a group of friends. Worship is a rightful and honorable response of, God, of God's people to him at any and all times. So yes, we need to believe, but we also need to bring before him a heart and a posture of worship in our lives. Does that describe you? Does that describe your response to the risen Savior? Are we putting him out of mind once we leave on a Sunday morning? Or is the awareness of him present with us continually? King Jesus is risen. Let's worship him. Well, then we get to a third scene in this passage. As we look at verses 11 through 15. So now while they were on their way, these women were on their way to... It said, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. So while the women have gone about what the, the angel had called them to do, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. Have you wondered why maybe all of the guard didn't go? You think maybe some of them maybe could have been frightened? We're not told in Scripture, but I mean, what's happened is an amazing scandal. And the... Religious leaders are bound not to be happy by what they hear. So they came into the city and they reported to the chief priests all that had happened. Now get this. The soldiers, like the women, they'd been there for the earthquake. They'd seen the angels. They could have looked in and seen the empty tomb. They got the same evidence the women did. But what are they doing? They're going to the religious leaders to say, what do we do with this? So they reported it to the chief priests. And we're told in verse 12, and when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. 
So they assembled with the elders. You have the chief priests, you have the elders. They're getting the consulting together means that they came together to agree to a plan. So they hear this great evidence from the soldiers. The same thing that women would have been aware of. Except the angels didn't tell them, fear not. And they come before and they share this news. And surely the religious leaders broke out into a revival and praised the Lord, right? No, not at all. It wasn't at all how they responded. No, in verse 12, they assembled with the elders and consulted together. They put together a plan they could agree on. And the plan was they're going to pay off the soldiers. We got to give a different narrative. Fake news? Yeah. And we're going to give them, not, they didn't just say, you know, they gave them the message too, which we'll talk about here in just a second, but they, they paid them off to be able to perpetrate this, this news that they're going to give to them to, to tell others. Verse 13 tells us what that message is. You were to say, his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. So they, they're not only paying them to get this, the truth uh, distorted, covered up totally. They pay him off. They give him the message. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, looking at this verse, I wonder if any of these thoughts come to your mind. Like, what kind of credible testimony is it that while you're asleep, you know the disciples came by night and stole him away? They're asleep. How are they going to know this, right? How do they know it's the disciples? So there's some issues with that. And, and furthermore, we know that the soldiers, if it got out that his body had been stolen, their lives could be, they could be killed for that. They had not done their duty correctly. Well, the, the religious leaders were anticipating that. So in verse 14, and if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. It's like they're anticipating this is going to happen. Uh, the governor's going to find out about this. And so we're going to win him over. That means we're going to pay him off too. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, Philo, the historian has said, documented that Pilate was one who liked to take bribes. They knew him well. So they're going to pay him. And we're going to win him over as well. And we'll keep you out of trouble. That's the guarantee. They've got this all figured out, right? Verse 15, and they took the money and did as they had been instructed. That's what the soldiers do. do. And we're told this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. He's talking about till the time that Matthew had written this, this story continued to be shared, continued to be spread. It's interesting that we're told that um, the disciples, though they knew the truth and they're going to be given the truth here shortly, what's going out is a lie. And we're told that the, that the Jewish people actually were, that the, the religious leaders, by his, some historians of that time, that they actually sent out words into every country to give them the false story that they're talking about here in, in verse 13. They sent out by horseback into all these areas. And this is how they're, gonna, this is how they're going to deal with this, not just in the local area, but around the world where they could send this message out. This is being sent out. And that's why I said it was widely spread among the Jews. And that's, 
That testimony is, is uh, verified by Justin Martyr in 170 AD. He mentioned that the soldiers or the, the horsemen were sent out into every country for this. Well, this took place in the time of Jesus' resurrection, but what about today? What about his resurrection or altering that or countering that today? Platonic philosophy would have said, even not too far after the lifetime of Christ, that we're actually dealing here with a spiritual resurrection, not a bodily resurrection. That's how some people have countered Jesus' resurrection. Oh, it was just spiritual. And some will even say that today. I went on Chabad.org, which is a Jewish website that I use a lot for a lot of research. They're very thorough in a lot of areas. But I just looked up Jesus' resurrection to see what they say about that, and it was quiet. Nothing. You can't find anything there. doesn't even address it. Just interesting. Muslims would say that he didn't rise because they don't even believe he was crucified. They believe he was removed before that took place, that he didn't die by that means. So he couldn't have been resurrected either. That's what they would say. Some have talked about the swoon theory where Jesus maybe came very close to death. They took him off the cross when he was put into the tomb. Uh, perhaps he revived, was resuscitated by the coolness of it was able to get out and, and go about from there. A survey I just read about this past week, a 2017 BBC uh, survey mentioned that in, in Great Britain, a fourth of those who claim to be Christians don't believe in the resurrection. I said a tenth here, a quarter over there, according to a 2017 survey. Again, there are very subtle ways that the resurrection is being undermined. You can actively go after the truth as the Jewish uh, leaders were at this point or you can simply deny the truth and it, be, it begins to be undermined. But here's the thing. King Jesus is risen. We need to recognize that just like in the days of the apostles today, the truth is going to be denied. There's going to be deception. We need to recognize that there's deception that's taking place. And by the way, deception took place in the first century. It's taking place now. It's taking place all in between, by the way. And, and we know the Word of God says it's going to take place right till the end, isn't it? So as believers, we have to be very dis discerning. That is, don't believe everything you hear, right? Search the Scriptures. Compare. Be thorough. Well, we come to our final um, our final passage or portion of the passage, verses 16 to 20, our final scene. And one of the things I think is so important for us to notice is, remember when the angels were talking to the women, they said to them that Jesus would go ahead of them to Galilee. And then when Jesus was talking to the women in verse 10, he said, take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. It's not that disciples hadn't seen Jesus in Jerusalem, they had, but the angels and Jesus alike are saying, kind of giving this gentle push, go to Galilee. Go to Galilee. You'll see me there. What are they going to encounter at Galilee that's so important? I think we begin to see this, what Jesus, what Jesus and the angel are, are getting the people to understand when verse 16 says, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. They go to this place. Now, there's some debate there. What mountain is this? Is it Mount Beatitude or Mount Tabor? 
the scholars I read kind of lean more towards Mount Beatitude. But anyway, they're at the place, bottom line, they're at the place where Jesus had prescribed them to go. And they're there. And notice verse 17, when they saw him, they what? what you tell me what they do. And they worshiped him. It wasn't just the women who met him on the way that day. Now the disciples, those who were there, they, they worship him. They bring the same response. He is worthy of their worship and their adoration. And he is weighty. He is great. He is mighty. He is glorious. The proper response. They worshiped him. But we're told some were doubtful. I think it's, we're safe to assume that it wasn't the 11 apostles because even Thomas, who was doubtful at first, he had it resolved uh, when Jesus appeared to him that Jesus uh, had risen. Perhaps the, uh, the others that were around them, there were some that were doubtful there. And, and don't be troubled by verse 17. It actually, I think, really helps us see the credibility of Scripture because even like on our day where people can be doubtful about the truth, at this time there were people who were wondering about it as well. And doubt can simply drive us deeper to explore the Scriptures, to look into the truth, to examine the facts. We shouldn't be threatened by doubt. We should allow them, though, to drive us to the Word of God, to drive us to the Lord, to look deeper into what we're struggling with. So some were doubtful. And, and then we get to verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on, and on, and on earth. All authority was his. It had been given to him, of course, by God the Father in heaven and on earth. Remember back in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, Jesus is being tempted by the devil, and the devil promises to give him the kingdoms of the earth if he will but what? Worship him. Jesus didn't take him up on that. He continued to serve God, realizing that he alone was worthy of worship. And then what we find out now, though, is that Jesus has died. He's fulfilled the Father's purpose for him. He's been raised. What do we see in the word of God that speaks to this? Philippians chapter 2 Verses 8 to 11. Let me just read these verses for you. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has faithfully lived. He's faithfully executed God's plan for him. And now God has given him this glory. And to the point to where the apostles, when they're preaching, speaking about Jesus, they're saying this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Yes, that's our Jesus. That's the risen Jesus. The risen King Jesus. And then we get to the Great Commission in verses 19 through 20. I think it's important that we connect the resurrection of Jesus to the Great Commission of King Jesus. Remember, they're being told on Resurrection Day, go before him to Galilee, go before him to Galilee. Now they're here at Galilee. These are the things he's telling them. The author, Matthew, the Holy Spirit's inspired him to put this together. We're getting at the conclusion of this resurrection account in Matthew 28. What's so important, Jesus came and he said to them, yeah, I have all authority. And then he says in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's been pointed out that there's one uh, imperative verb here, and that is make disciples. That's connected to the resurrection. Because of that, we need to be making disciples. What are the participles with that? Uh, Go. Go. As you're going, make disciples. We may be going to different places. Someone may be going to Africa. Someone may be going to uh, Australia. Someone to England. Someone to Pete's. So it's all the same. You need to be involved with the same commission, right? But as you're going, make disciples of all the nations. That's another key. It's worldwide in scope. God wants all the nations reached. While we must be very intentional to reach our own area, we must also have a heart and a desire and a participation in worldwide discipleship for Jesus Christ. And then he says, baptizing him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's a Trinitarian baptism right there, right? So make disciples as we're going, but also baptizing. We need to be baptizing as we're making disciples. By the way, a very perfect response to this resurrection day is if you have come to believe in Jesus as your Savior, you're following him, but you've never followed him in baptism, would be great to be able to get a baptismal service set up someday and to do it. This is part of his great commission is baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Talk to us about that if that's something the Lord would be prompting your heart to do, following him in baptism. And then verse 20 is the third part of teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. I'm just thinking about even just the book of Matthew. Man, if you, if you just read through the book of Matthew, let alone the, the rest of the Word of God, and just focus on the things He's taught us to do. Hey, in Matthew, we have the Sermon on the Mount. We have so many other great teachings of Jesus there, too. These are awesome. So many things He wants implemented in our life. Are we in the Word to be able to hear His instructions so that we can do it, so we can observe it? And then this great assurance at the end, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you always. He's going to be right with us through the rest of this church age. He's going to be here as we're doing the work he's called us to do, as we're doing his great commission. He's here with us the whole way. You never need fear that. This past week, um, my mind has helped out. If I can just put things simply, maybe this helps you out too. I put on a little index card this past week, just titled the top of it, Resurrection Reminders, as it relates to the Great Commission. And, and all I did on this card was I just wrote out the alls that are in this, verses 18 to 20. For instance, all authority, all the nations, all that I command you, I am with you always, all right? All or always is mentioned quite a bit in those three verses, four times anyway, and what I want to do is I just want to keep this before me so as I'm thinking about the Great Commission, and it's very connected to the resurrection. These things take place because King Jesus has risen. But he has all authority. That should give us great confidence in what we do. Secondly, is to go to all the nations. Again, may God help us have a worldwide vision of what it means to take the good news of Christ to people and disciple people. All that I command you, it tells, tells us the scope of the teaching. What does he want us to be getting out to people from the beginning in Genesis to Revelation. 
All of this has been inspired by God's Holy Spirit. We need to focus on those things. We need to be getting that out. And then we think about, I am with you always. What assurance that brings. Not only do we have the authority of King Jesus in this commission he's given us to do, but we can be assured that as we're faithfully seeking to obey that, he's with us every step of the way. You want to talk to a neighbor that needs to know about Jesus, but you're scared to death because you hate to do it alone? Guess what? You're not doing it alone. Jesus is with you. You want to start a Bible study at your place of work, but hey, and the, the, the employers will let you do it at a, coffee, at a break or lunchtime or whatever, um, but you're scared because, man, I'm all alone in this? Hey, King Jesus is with you. We need, to have, we need to walk in, in confidence of these things. Yes, some of the things we do, like the, the women on the day of the resurrection, we may be joyful about it, but also scared to death. But may we recognize that we have authority of Jesus and we have his presence. His Holy Spirit lives within us. He is with us. As we close things out this morning, King Jesus is risen. We need to make disciples. That's a very, I think, consequential, proper response to the resurrection. We need to be making disciples. I did a very informal, very small survey this past week because the, the day we commemorate resurrection is coming up. I talked to seven different people. One person was from within the church family. The other six were outside. I asked the question, do you believe in the resurrection? I had six yeses. So you're thinking, okay, I can do the math. That means we had one no, right? No? We had one, I don't know. Because I claim to be agnostic. Then he backed off on that and said, really, really, I'm a lapsed Catholic. But I can guarantee you that we have people in this community who, say, who wouldn't believe in the resurrection. I think we know that. The second question I gave was this. Hey, have you heard of attempts to explain away the resurrection? Of course, this passage in Matthew 28 was brought out as the body being stolen by the disciples. Uh, it was also mentioned, uh, had more than one response to this, that there were box with Jesus' bones supposedly found a few years ago, and that was, of course, never verified. Um, that Those types of things come out. There's the whole swoon theory I mentioned about earlier. Uh, I had one man tell me, listen, if anybody starts telling me about why the resurrection isn't true, he says, I just walk away. I don't give ear to people like that. <laughs> this is a way of dealing with it. So, but mostly what I found was this. The people who I talked to said, you know, it's not that I hear a lot of explaining away the resurrection. It's just like people I talk to don't believe. Um, they don't give any explanation. They just say, I don't believe. And it's interesting, the sad and tough part about surveying is that there were multiple children involved in the survey where the parents were believers, but the children now have not received that faith that their parents had. One said, my son doesn't deny it. He just gets quiet when I talk to him about it. Another one said, you know, you can just tell from the body language they don't believe. My final question to people was this. What, what's the proper response? What's the proper response to the resurrection of Jesus? And I would ask you to ask yourself that question right now as well. 
There's a lot of good responses. But here, here were some of the ones I got back. One said, well, I believe that because I have a belief in the resurrection and the gospel, that I can experience God's salvation. Another person said, I have overwhelming joy because of it. And hopefully we've experienced some of that today. One has said, you know, I have hope that I'll have a resurrected body and I'll have eternal life someday. Another person said, Jesus died for our sin. That means it brings confidence for those who are believers, but not so much confidence for those who aren't believers. Another one said, and this person was being very honest, I have believed in the Lord for salvation, but I don't go to church. I'm just trying to live for him. One person I talked to said, hey, because of the resurrection, the rightful response is a yielded life. Another response was, everything hangs on it. The final response to this one was that a man told me, hey, I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the gospel. I've received salvation. He says, it makes me want to go to church and read my Bible. What about you? What is the rightful response to the resurrection? I'm not, I'm not talking about just a response while we're together here this morning, but one that will go with you beyond today even, to tomorrow and the rest of this month and beyond. Hey, because King Jesus has risen, believe, worship him. Recognize that people are going to try to deceive us, getting us away from the truth of the gospel, and the news of the resurrection. And finally, make disciples. Father, we thank you today for the great news of the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate. We, we even have overwhelming joy as we, as we sing together. Lord, I pray that the truth of this will resound in our mind throughout this day, throughout this week, even throughout this month. Father, that we'll just recognize these rightful responses that you're deserving of, that you're worthy of. We thank you for saving us. We thank you that we, have, we serve a risen Savior. May we worship. May we make disciples according to your great commission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.